So good to have you guys here. I don't know about you guys, but I find Easter Friday has always been a bit of a weird day. It's a bit of a weird day, right? Because we're kind of meant to be like sad, right? Because Jesus, we, we commemorate Jesus dying. So it's, I'm always feeling a little guilty because the problem is I already know about Sunday. Like I, I already know the end of the story, right? So, so it doesn't kind of work to be sad today because I know what he's done. And I think that's an important point for us today. That on Easter Friday, it's not about melancholy. It's about awe. It's about awe because Jesus was the one who said, I will lay down my life, but I'm going to pick it back up again. Jesus was the one who went to the cross knowing absolutely he was going to walk out of that tomb, but he still had to go through what he went through at the cross. He still had to suffer. He still had to die. He had to do that for us. There was no other way that that could be done. He had to do that for us because of our sin. That is why on Easter Friday, I'm not sad, but I am in awe at how he did that for us. Let me ask you a question as we begin. What were you doing on Wednesday? Have a think about it for a moment. What were you doing on Wednesday a couple of days ago? Do you realize that in Jesus' last week, 2,000 years ago, on Wednesday, Judas was going to the Pharisees to betray Jesus? That's what was going down on Wednesday. Wednesday, he was having a meeting with them. Wednesday, he was uttering the words that he would betray him. Wednesday, he was determining a price for that information, the price for selling out the Savior. And I find that really helpful because now the timeline gets a bit more real. Like today we're, we're celebrating in some way the culmination of not just one day and not even actually just a week, the whole three years of Jesus' ministry, not only that, the fact that he came as a baby for us, all, all of those things. But this week in particular is significant. And I believe that there are powerful lessons for us from this last week as we follow Jesus through. And look at some of the things that happened in his last week that led him to the place we are at today where Jesus hangs and dies on a cross for the sins of the world. I want to walk you through it. These are the traditional understandings of the timeline. No one, of course, is 100% sure, but this is generally accepted as how it happened. Jesus' final week began last Sunday, five days ago. It's now called Palm Sunday. Jesus enters Jerusalem. He's been out ministering, going to all the villages of Israel and into Samaria as well. But now he comes back and it is a very intentional entering into Jerusalem. And what's astonishing is, is that as he comes in, he enters to crowds waving palm branches, which is why it's called Palm Sunday, laying their coats on the road as Jesus rode in on a young donkey, which is a mark of honor. It was like rolling out the red carpet. Like We don't have red carpet, but I'm going to take off what I'm wearing and put it down because you are so holy. This is holy ground. They were celebrating. They were welcoming him as king. John 12, 12 to 15. The next day, Sunday, 
the great, uh, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. On Sunday, the crowds wanted to crown Jesus. And yet just five days later, on Friday, they wanted to crucify him. What a powerful lesson for us, right? On how fickle people can be. We need to realize that, you know what, people will change their opinions of us. That actually happens in life. People can love you one day, they can speak well of you one day, and you know what it's like, and then sometimes, for some reason, something shifts, and now they're not saying good things about you anymore. What an important lesson for us to take, though. John chapter 2. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. There's an important lesson for us today as we look at this journey of Jesus. In terms of who do we entrust ourselves to, or more accurately, who do we entrust our opinion of ourselves to? I mean, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He loved them. He loved these people. But he also knew that these were the same people who stoned the prophets, the messengers sent by God, and they too soon would kill him. People change in their opinion of you, but God doesn't. And that is an incredibly important truth for us to realize today. Don't build your identity on who people say you are. On Sunday, build it on who God says you are. We live in a generation that is that just runs after the praise of men. I mean, that's what social media is, right? That's why we take 673 photos to find one that makes us look gloriously praiseworthy, and then we post that as if we just took it. We so. We so run after the praise of men, and we see our reflection in that. We, we see our identity in that. But when that changes, isn't this the scourge of our teenagers is that they are up one day if they get 100 likes, and they are down the next when they don't. Let us learn not to entrust how we see ourselves to the opinions of people. Let us look to God for that. Amen. Great lesson from Sunday. The next day is what is known as Holy Monday. Why is it called Holy? Because Jesus clears the temple on this day. What were you doing last Monday? I was working on Monday. Didn't sleep particularly well. It had a late night. Um, up helping somebody. So Monday I'm working on my sermon sorting some final details for our missions trip. Went to the doctor late in the day for him to jab me with typhoid and tetanus and those things. That was my Monday. What was your Monday? Monday, Jesus came in from Bethany where he had spent the night. He'd been to the temple on Sunday, we're told, taken a good long look and then gone out. Now on Monday, 
he is back with a mission. Let me read this to you, Mark 11, 15 to 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out, driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus addressed an evil that he had no doubt been seeing since he was a boy, this, this monetization of worship, religion being used for greed, for selfish ends, for taking advantage of people who were powerless to change those things. But here's the interesting thing, right? We know the day before Jesus came in Jerusalem and they were proclaiming him as king. Why? Because they were expecting him to come into Jerusalem and confront the Romans, declare the kingdom of Israel, somehow rally people and drive the Romans. That's what people were expecting. That's why they were, they were celebrating him as king. And instead, what did Jesus do? He went to the temple. He confronted Israel. I mean, religion was the heart of it. The temple was the heart of Israel. Instead of going to those who were oppressing them, he went to the very heart of Israel and criticized them for their sin. Tell you what, they did not see that coming. But what a powerful lesson for us. That when Jesus comes into our world, to save, redeem, to intervene, to change, to shift things, to, 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 to bring us into a place of freedom, he comes first to us. Remember that we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to deal with the sin in our temple, in our hearts. He knows that the enemy on the inside is far more dangerous than the enemy on the outside. Can I say this morning? When you feel most right, when you feel most righteous, when you're most angry, ready to make a stand, that is when you most need to first check your own heart. You know, my experience, in every case, when I reflect back, when I thought I was making a stand in righteous anger, it turned out it was just anger. It's not righteous at all. The more I reflect, the more I realize that my anger is always fueled by insecurity, by pride and fear. Is it any wonder then that when God comes to me wanting to make a difference in the world, he comes first in here? Clear out your own temple of the sin that is there before you try to change the world. If Jesus was to come today to deal with the things in your life that have not yet been dealt with, because of his great love for you, what might he want to drive out of your heart? What needs to be dealt with today? What a powerful lesson. The third day is what's called Holy Tuesday. Holy Tuesday. On, on Tuesday, Jesus faces his own mortality. John chapter 12, verse 23 to 28. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, listen to this, 
Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Tuesday. What were you doing on Tuesday? Jesus comes in from Bethany to the temple. Again, he returns to Bethany that evening. But Jesus is now talking to the disciples about what is coming. He is now facing his own death, facing his own mortality. And he, this is just so helpful, right? It troubles him, even though he knows the victory. Death still troubles him. But he presses through. He fixes his eyes on where he is going. The Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know what? I'm going to die one day. But it ain't going to be today. I hope. So I must not live in the fear of something that may happen in the, and will happen, but may happen in the future. I must live today. I must be fully engaged. I must do the things that God has called me to do today. Today is a gift. I don't need to fear about today. And we need to realize that our days are going to come to an end, that there is wisdom in realizing that for us, while that is coming, we must therefore learn to live intentionally today. It's okay because we're all heaven bound. Amen? We're all heaven bound. That's okay. So on earth then, we must make every day count. I love the story of a lady who once asked John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, if he knew he would die at midnight the following day, how would he spend the intervening time? I love this. He replied, why, madam, just as I intend to spend it now. I'd preach this evening at Gloucester and again at five tomorrow morning. After that, I would ride to Tewkesbury, preach in the afternoon, meet the home groups in the evening. I would then go to my friend Martin's house, talk and pray with his family as usual, retire myself to my room at 10 o'clock, commend myself to the Heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. I love that. Because it tells me about a man who's living his life intentionally, doing things that mattered in such a way that if it was to be his last day, he would change nothing. What an encouragement for us to live each day such that if we knew it was our last, we would change nothing. Amen? So we find ourselves now at Wednesday. It's traditionally called Spy Wednesday. The, the, uh, the translation of spy meaning ambush because Jesus was ambushed 
on Wednesday. He was betrayed by Judas, Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Jesus and spent the day in Bethany. It's a fascinating story. For the moment of his greatest betrayal came out of one of the moments of greatest loyalty. It's intriguing. Jesus had been saying that he would die. Mary did what she could, we're told in Scripture. She brought what she had, this, this jar of pure nard of perfume. And in front of the disciples, while she was verbally attacked and criticized, she broke that and poured it on Jesus and anointed him, weeping and washed his feet with her tears. And at that moment, as Judas and others began to criticize her, Jesus rose up and defended her. And he told off the disciples. And while that was happening, this extraordinary expression of loyalty from both Mary to Jesus and also from Jesus to Mary, Judas took offense, went out and went to the chief priests to betray Jesus. Can I say this? In life, at some point, you will be betrayed. You will be let down. You will be hung out to dry, sometimes even by those you thought were friends. And Jesus shows us, I think, that while it may define them, it does not define you. I was let down by a colleague many years ago. And what was interesting is that not only was I impacted by what I felt was a betrayal, but for years I struggled with guilt and confusion over my role in it, feeling that I was somehow at fault, that it was somehow because of me that that thing happened. Even though I was convinced, the more I looked at it, that what I had done was correct in the situation. But it changed the way I thought about myself. I've eventually realized that while he shouldn't have behaved that way, and I'm sure that it wasn't strictly intentional, I do think that it's been incredibly important for me to let go of that betrayal, to forgive him, and to refuse to let it define me anymore. <coughs> Some of us here have been betrayed. We've been let down. We've been hurt deeply. And we've struggled for years with feeling that it was somehow us. It was somehow our fault. Can I say this this morning? It was not. Be free of the guilt. Be free of the shame this morning. Refuse to be defined for, more than, for, for one more moment by what somebody else did to you. On this day, on Wednesday, betrayal comes and betrayal goes. Walk on. Do what God has called you to do. Amen. And then this leads us to Thursday, Maunday Thursday. 
Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The word monde is from the Latin mundatum, meaning commandment. And it comes from Jesus' commandment. A new commandment I give you, he says, love one another. John 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knew all things were under his power. All things. And yet he still had to lay his life down. And they had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What a day. What was your Thursday like? On Jesus' Thursday, he awoke from his last sleep. He ate his last breakfast. He made his last journey into Jerusalem. And what's interesting is that Jesus knew exactly that, that these were his lasts. But there was no rushing. Everything was prepared. He ate his last supper with the disciples. In fact, he said, I have longed. Isn't that crazy? I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you. How clear do you think in Jesus' mind was the first Passover while he was eating the last Passover? Thinking back to when Moses led Israel out of Egypt, that nation that had been miraculously set free from over 400 years of slavery. But in order for that to happen, every one of these families had to take a lamb that they were raising and they had to kill that lamb. And they had to put the blood of the lamb on the rough posts around the door, on the door frame. That blood meaning that the avenging angel, seeing the blood of the slain lamb, would pass over the blood that said, these people are forgiven by God. These people are declared blessed and protected. How clear was Jesus that now he was the lamb. And now for his disciples, the last lesson. The thing that encapsulated everything that Jesus was and did. With this, end, with this week racing to its end, Jesus is now doing everything with great purpose, with great intentionality. And what is his final action? I mean, this is the last thing he gets to do. This is the last thing, the last moment, the last time he can communicate something to his disciples. And what does he do for the very last thing? The Messiah takes the place and position of a servant with his hands and a bowl and a towel. He washed, one at a time, his disciples' feet. He kneeled before them. The last thing, when he could have chosen so many things to do for his last thing, his last thing was to once again show his disciples that we exist to serve. We have come to serve. Life's great purpose is found in serving others. However, we do that in our jobs, in our careers, in our families, in our ministries, whatever that is. But our great purpose is to serve others in whatever way we can, even if it's just cleaning somebody's dirty feet. That was the last thing that Jesus communicated. Love one another. And so we come to Good Friday. And Jesus is crucified for the sins of the world. He is mocked. He is beaten on. He is spat at. 
is to carry his cross, even as the blood from his from his um, from being whipped is, is making him weak. He's dehydrated. He goes to the cross. He suffers on the cross between two thieves while he is continually mocked. He declares that it is finished and he dies. The temple curtain between the Holy of Holies where God's presence was and where the people could come to was torn in two, not from the bottom to the top as a couple of people might rip it, but torn from the top to the bottom signifying that this is God's work. And this is the interesting thing. Jesus had to count the cost. He had to carry his cross. He had to fulfill what he came for. And what a lesson for us to know that in this life, when the world tells us that, man, it should be all ease, comfort, and goodness, we should all be holidaying and chilling and having no trouble or difficulty, God says, no, 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 no. There is a cost. There is a cost to do what you're called to do, to be the kind of people you're called to be. There will always be a cost, and we must embrace that cost. I I love and honor our founding pastor, Pastor Luke Bro. He's now retired from pastoral ministry. He built one of the great churches of his generation in this nation, and we are a part of that now. Pastor Luke is honored for what he's done. He's esteemed for what he's done. We could see his Facebook post out fishing for snapper and he's kind of semi-retired and we could go, wow, that, that looked pretty easy. But was there a cost? Pastor Luke has four stints in his heart keeping his heart going, keeping him alive. I'm not sure if there's anyone else here with four stints in your heart, but can I suggest that you don't end up needing four stents in your heart because you've been sitting on the couch watching Netflix for the last 30 years. It gives us a small glimpse into the stress and the weight that that man has carried over the last 35 years, the cost for him to do what God has called him to do. And so for every one of us in different ways, there is a cost. There is a cost. And like Jesus, we must be able to make peace with that and walk on and keep going. Join our hearts and smiles and our faces. Let us not be surprised that there is a cost. Let us acknowledge it. Let us embrace it. Let us get on with it. We'll get the team up now as we come to a close. So here we are. On Friday, and as we know, and we've said multiple times, this isn't the end of the story, right? While those around Jesus on Friday didn't see it, Sunday, man, Sunday was coming, and it was going to blow everybody's minds. You see, despite how it appeared, Jesus' life wasn't taken from him. He gave it. He handed it over, because that was the cost to gain the salvation of the world. And he would take it back again when it was time. John 10, 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and 
authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Isn't that interesting? That the father said to his son, I give you authority. I give you authority to lay it down. And I give you authority to take it up again. You have authority. You will be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the architect of eternity. And don't we love that? Isn't this so much the heart of what it is to follow Christ as part of this great global movement that we're a part of? Is that God wins. Death was about to ultimately be defeated, though we each still have to walk through it. The rescuer would soon be coming back to rescue. The Savior was in the process of saving, even when it seemed all was lost. I love that about our story. And as we cast our mind back, can you see what can change in a week? What might change in your life this week if we could learn from the Master? If we could build our identity not on what people say or think, but on what God says about us. If we could clear out those things in our heart, that if we're honest, we know are not that good. If we could clear those out and put God's things first. If we could face our mortality and let it drive us to live ever more intentionally every day of our lives. If we could embrace this, the great purpose in life to serve someone, to bless someone, to help someone, to encourage someone. If we can understand that there will be a cost, we must not be surprised when it comes our way. But we should make peace with that and press on as Jesus did. And then lastly, when we are deep in a dark Friday, stuck in a place that looks like defeat or death or loss to remember that Jesus most certainly isn't done yet and we can trust Him and His Word. Amen. We're going to share communion together now as we come to a close. I'd like you to take the elements of communion. Thanks, Liz. If you haven't seen these before, there's a couple of little tabs. We pull the thin top tab off and pull a little bit of wafer out and then you can pull the second tab off and get to the juice. If you don't have one of these, didn't get one when you came and if you put your hand up like this right now, our team will come to you and bring that to you. Thank you guys over, there, over here as well. Wonderful. I'm going to ask everyone if we wouldn't mind to stand in honour today of our King. Can we do that? Can we stand in honour of Jesus this morning? We're going to eat and drink in just a moment. We're going to sing one more time. And then Lizzie's going to come and pray for us. Let me read to you from Matthew 27. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. 
And when Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Listen to this. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children, they said. Having no idea how prophetic that statement would be. You know, I can imagine Jesus standing there, crown of thorns on his head, bleeding, robe on his back, in so much pain. But I can imagine Jesus just for a moment, just lifting his eyes to heaven with almost a smile and whispering, yes, Lord, I choose this, my blood for them and for their children and for their children's children. Revelations 5 verse 9. You were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard, listen to this, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped let us eat and drink this morning memory of the body that was broken and the blood of the lamb that was shed for us and then let us too worship let's eat and drink together day in which he was the Lamb of God purchased for God people from every tribe from every language 
from every people and every nation. And Lord, so many of us are gathered here today, Lord, from every, from many tribes, many languages, many people, many nations. We stand in awe of you, Lord. You have fulfilled your word. You did what you came to do. Freedom has been purchased for us. And today we worship the Lamb. In Jesus' name.